Welcome to the Sober by Design podcast, where we explore the many pathways to recovery and a better life through conversations with a wide array of guests. Whether you're sober curious, in recovery, or simply looking to improve your mental health and well-being, this podcast will have something for you. Each week, we sit down with inspiring guests from all walks of life who share their personal stories of struggle and triumph, offering valuable insights and practical advice on how to design a life worth living. From addiction and mental health to spirituality and creativity, we cover a wide range of topics that are relevant to anyone seeking to live a more fulfilling and authentic life. So join us on this journey of discovery, growth, and transformation, and start designing a new life. All right, everybody, welcome to the Sober by Design podcast. Um, This is a first for me. I had recorded an episode with a guest and we had a bit of a technical issue, or I did, I should say, on the transfer of the um, recording to my laptop. I don't know what happened exactly, but I dropped the first three, four minutes of our conversation. Um, So I just wanted to jump on here and introduce the guest today. Uh, we are talking with Suki Jones. Suki's an author. Uh, she's just released a new memoir, See, Swallow Me, which is available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, um, and some local sellers out on the West Coast. Uh, she lives in the Bay Area, so her book is available, I believe, in some local shops around that uh, locale, if, if you happen to find yourself in San Francisco. Um, Suki, when we started out this conversation, we, we started out as we normally do, and we were talking a little bit about her early childhood, how she grew up, where she grew up. Um, Suki grew up in the Midwest. Uh, you know, she had a sort of a tumultuous, um, uh, you know, younger years. Um, her dad, she had kind of let us know that her dad was an alcoholic, um, sometimes violent, a very sort of, you know, big... Uh, man and I think a big personality Um, you know her and her mom were sort of back and forth to the west coast and then at some point had decided that it was time to up and get out of that household and relocate completely to the bay area and uh, the west coast so she and her mother did leave again, I believe, when she was around eight, if memory serves correctly. And um, that is kind of where our story is going to pick up. When we cut over to Suki, I am going to do my best to tie it in and, and make sure that uh, it makes some sense. Um, the rest of the conversation is quite amazing, though. So please, you know, know that there's a ton of stuff still discussed in this episode and Suki has a lot of information and knowledge around recovery and is just an amazing person overall and has has dedicated time um you know over her 26 years of recovery um to helping others and I think that that is the message that I really took away from this this time with her that she um she's given back she she knows what she got through recovery, and she wants to share that with others. So please pick up on the next bit of this interview. And again, I'm really sorry for the technical issues. Um, It was bound to happen at some point. Um, You know, I I, I know it's happened on other podcasts. And when you're recording live and then transferring, it just stuff, 
stuff happens. So thanks for hanging in here and um, stay on for the rest of the interview. Uh, my mom and her lawyers got involved. I was sent back to California. <laughs> so I was kind of going back and forth. Um, and we were living with her parents. And at that time, my mom's father started sexually abusing me. So I kind of went from one situation um, that I didn't know how to handle to another situation that I didn't know how to handle. And um, it really, like that really, I think made um, in the in the years, in the few years to come, like the early teen years, I think that made drugs and alcohol really appealing to me. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I, I believe that I was pre, just predisposed to like have those sort of inclinations anyway. Um, so I, when I got into like, uh, sixth, seventh, eighth grade and drugs, alcohol, that sort of thing were like a thing I dove in, like I, I went all in. So. Okay. Well, that's a lot there. It is Um, a lot. (laughs) So we went from early childhood, Nebraska. Um, dad was obviously an alcoholic. You, you were coming up through that tumultuous time. Then you think you're getting out of it. You go west and you kind of, you know, out of the frying pan and into the fryer, for lack of a better, you know, yeah. uh, terminology, right? Where you think it's going to go one direction and it it gets worse. Um, so obviously, you know, your childhood was full of, you know, big, big trauma. Um, and that's hard to deal with as a as a kid. Um, and, you know, even going up and through your teen years to have that kind of, you know, weight on you. Um, so what, what kind of comes out of that? Like, how do you start to cope with the world around you? So early, early on, like in junior high, it was, um, like I began like drinking. Mm -hmm. My mom was also, um, like the kind of parent that like my mom's family is Dutch and like they drank beer all day. Like it wasn't unusual to drink like at my mm-hmm. mom's family's home to drink all day. Nobody thought about it, but they drank, were drinking beer. So it wasn't like my dad, you know, throwing back scotch at seven in the morning. It was, it was viewed differently. Sure. Um, my mom would, you know, kind of had the policy that if I was going to drink or if my friends were going to drink, she wanted us to do it at home. So she would, you know, she actually would buy like wine coolers and or Heineken or you know, like whatever for me and my friends mm-hmm. if we agreed to stay in the house. So um so so I did, you know, I I, I took advantage of that absolutely and would, you know, drink with home with with friends of mine at mm-hmm. my house. Um she was very anti-drug though. So like it, when I started experimenting with drugs, I had to be very secretive about it. And um, the, I wasn't, I don't think I was using, I mean, I was using alcohol and drugs addictively at that age, but not to the point like where I would in the nineties where, you know, like where I was dope sick day in and day out okay. and like, you know, hung over day to day. Um, you know, it's a, a, a progressive illness. So like early on, um, you know, it was a lot of fun early on and it was a great, it was a great coping, you know, coping skill for me to deal with the trauma that I had, but I wasn't addressing any of it. So 
you know, it, it came out in ways like me um, getting into like anorexia and bulimia and, and not understanding why, really why I was trying to control things like that, mm-hmm. that in my life. Um, so it wasn't really until I was like 13, I think, and um, I got into therapy and, you know, it was like, oh, like, I'm you know, like, I'm, I'm trying to like kind of cover up all these issues with these different things. So that was an eye opener for me at that age. Yeah. And I mean, to, for some of the listeners, like they might not understand too, like you're talking middle school drinking, late eighties, like trying to set the yeah. table of like what the culture was back then. It was different, right? Like yes. how things were, were just a little bit different. Like it wasn't that, I don't think it was as abnormal to be honest, like it feels like it was a little bit more, not culturally appropriate, but culturally acceptable, right? Like, and there yeah, was- it more was, relaxed. Yeah, right? Yeah. Like if you look back at like Dazed and Confused or like any of those movies, right? It was kind of just part of what was going on. Like everybody kind of like winked away like a younger person going in and buying a six pack of beer. Like it was just kind of the thing. I think now yeah. it's a little bit more um, frowned upon. But back then, it was kind of like almost acceptable in a weird way. That's how I see it. I mean, I could be, yeah, I don't know, for maybe sure. I'm wrong. No, I totally agree because there were absolutely times when I was like, you know, 15. And you could go with your girlfriends or whatever and stand out in front of 7-Eleven and get somebody to buy you beer. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. like I don't, I mean, I don't think that's good anymore. But, uh, yeah. but it wasn't unusual. Like that sort of thing wasn't, I mean, that wasn't out of the realm of possibility. And somebody eventually would you know so yeah i mean i guess it could happen now i just it feels very far from what's possible in the current climate so that's just to set that table so then you go from this alcohol use into drug use and is that in high school that you start that or uh it was junior high okay okay yeah junior high i started uh what happened was initially i was on a synchronized swimming team in junior high and um, I had pulled a hamstring and a doctor gave me a prescription for some narcotic medication. It was very like, you know, like very low narcotic medication, but you know, it was, it, as soon as I took it, you know, my body was like, oh, <laughs> like, oh, this is, this is what we like. You know, like I, the feeling changed how I felt or the feeling of taking that pill changed my outlook on things and made me feel differently. And, you know, like I recognized it immediately. So, uh, I, once I, so I started, my mom had kept these pills like up in a cabinet on like the top shelf. And like, I would start, you know, getting into them. Like, you know, I got home from school, she wasn't home from work yet. And then, you know, eventually those pills ran out, but then I had friends that were doing like, you know, angel dust and, coke and smoking weed and um you know cross tops and valium and you know like had pills so then so you know like i kind of started experimenting with pills and drugs like in my in my early teens Mm -hmm. and then that that ramped up as i went into high school but um really i mean really i just wanted to do anything that was gonna kind of blot out the trauma (laughs) it didn't matter what it was like if if i if it changed my you know like my feeling if it gave me euphoria 
if it took me out of my head, but I, I just couldn't get enough of it. Yeah. So yeah, that was, yeah, regulating the insides with the outside stuff, right? So, like, you're trying to yeah. bring in anything, and you ha you mentioned, like, food things. And so you were just doing anything to try to gain some sort of control over the feelings at that age. Um, all the while, though, you're in therapy. Is that true? Yeah. Okay. I was in therapy. Well, yeah, I was in therapy. Um, I wasn't – so the thing – about therapy is that like if you're not being honest with the therapist or what's going on, I can't really, he's not going to be able to help you. So like, um, I, I still, my mom had no idea until I, it was like the summer before I went into high school. My mom had no idea about the sex, sexual abuse mm -hmm. that had occurred with her father and I. Um, and so we had moved the year like the summer before high school same town but like you know across town and um i had my diary stuffed in a box i don't i have no idea how she came across it but she found it and she opened it and read it and there in the pages you know is you know all was my you know recounting and my record of like every all these incidents with my grandfather hmm. and i just remember uh being like her i, I want to say confronting but it but she didn't do it in a mean way she just i just remember seeing her holding this composition book that i had with all these detailed things in it and just like feeling like my soul had left my body because i I didn't want anyone to know about it. And I most certainly didn't want my mom to know about it. So as soon as I saw that book in her hand, you know, I knew the, like the jig was up. Like I had to, I had to tell her, I had to tell my therapist, you know, like it was, it was out, mm -hmm. um, which was a good thing. I mean, it was, you know, it was good to like, you know, let that secret go. Um, but it was hard too. Like, that's just not an easy thing to, have you know like kind of be cornered and like be like what is this you know did this happen yeah um so that was a lot but um but you know i'm 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 glad that it did because who knows i might have carried that secret with me all my life otherwise you know right yeah that's a big secret and one that um i think there's probably a lot of people that just carry secrets like that around forever and yeah uh, you know, and take those to the grave, but through their life, really struggle with it. And um, so while it probably was hard to go through that, and I'm sure it caused all sorts of rips and tears, and I can only imagine what the family dynamic was for a little bit, um, but it probably was the best thing to happen, right? Like that book just popping out. It was like yeah, kind of... Um, the universe working in your favor in some way. Um, so, and then you mentioned something else in there that I think is really important. It's like people who go to therapy and, and don't tell the truth. I was just talking about this on another, another episode. It's kind of like going to the gym and staring at the treadmill. It's like, y you know, you're kind of joking yourself. Like if you say like, Hey, I'm going to therapy and you go in there and just like lie or, or kind of be lazy about it. It's just like therapy is a very active thing in my opinion opinion having been through a lot of it and part of it is like telling the truth and then like taking that information that they give you 
and trying to put it into action <laughs> and then seeing yes, if it works, yeah. right? So like there's this back yeah. and forth in that room. And I think so many people go and maybe do parts and pieces and, you know, but to do, to get the most, it's like, you got to go in there and be vulnerable and, and tell the truth and then be humble enough to come out and like try things that they suggest. And, um, you know, I found that over the years, it obviously wasn't like day one. I've been doing this for a while. Uh, and, um, I think now it's, it's starting to click, you know, these things. Um, yeah. But it takes, yeah. you know, it takes my, time, my therapist right? says that even he's like the real, he's like, this is just, you know, this is not the work. No. You know, the real work is out there. Like how you apply all this in the world. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. 100%. So I just, you know, I'm a big advocate of therapy and I just, as much as I can get that message out to people that listen, right? Like, it's like, you got to go out, you got to tell truth, you got to do the stuff. So anyway, that got a little off topic. Um, so <laughs> you're obviously still using, you're going into high school. Are things getting worse or better at this point for you? Like, are you so, just sliding downhill? Or? Um, so I, um, right before, right before the move happened, before my mom and I moved before high school, I had um, had a physical altercation with my grandfather. And um, when I, I attacked him, <laughs> so um, after that, he, he, never, he never tried anything again. Um, he made a lot of threats at, at that point, like, you know, that, you know, he threatened to send me back to my dad. Mm -hmm. he, he made these threats, you know, I think just to intimidate me and scare me because he was probably afraid that I was gonna, you know, like, oh, she's like standing up for herself, you know? So, um, but you know, of course he never made good on any of the threats. So that had ended. Um, and then high school, I just, I, I didn't, I didn't really do well in high school. I was a good student, but I had so much going on internally that I felt, I felt really out of place there. So, um, I didn't, I didn't go to school a lot. Like I, I skipped a lot I, and then I ended up eventually dropping out because mm -hmm. I just, you know, I had some psychiatric holds um, at hospitals and that sort of thing. It just, it was very hard. High school is hard. Mm -hmm. High school is hard anyway. <laughs> and if you're dealing with, um, trying to process that sort of trauma, and try to just, you know, show up for first period and act like, you know, everything's normal and my life, you know, let's, yeah, let's do some math. <laughs> you know, like I just, it, I just couldn't reconcile those two worlds. Like it didn't, it just, I couldn't make them meet. Right. So, um, yeah. Okay. So, um, did you, um, I guess, when did you pull yourself out of that? Like, how old were you? And then what happened? Like, how, because like, I had a brother who dropped out early. He got his GED. He then went off yeah. to, I, he actually moved out to the Bay Area for a little bit. Oh, um, wow. Yeah. And uh, so like, what happened after you pulled yourself out of high school? Like, what, is, what does that look like for you? So that was, that was, my mom was, that was really rough on my mom because like, I was having terrible terrible anxiety like i would want to go to school um and i just i couldn't i couldn't do it i couldn't make myself go like i just couldn't i i just was i just wanted to be at home alone like i wanted to be home and process stuff and alone you know yeah. 
Um, so when I, when I had the discussion with my mom about like dropping out, like, um, I, she was like, well, you're going to have to have like a backup plan. I was also doing some like, you know, like local modeling and stuff and TV shows, um, like local, um, news magazine type thing. And, um, so, and like my mom thought it was, I was like, I want to do like modeling and acting. And she was like, well, you can't, you can't do that. <laughs> That's not going to work. And she was like, you need to have like a real thing to fall back on. Um, so I agreed to go to beauty school. Okay. And so um, I dropped out of high school and did beauty school. And, um, and you know, like I, I continued to party. Like that was, that was like, really like my focus, like all I wanted to do really was like do drugs and drink, you know, and like hang out with friends. And like, um, so that was really like my, um, that was my goal mm -hmm. <laughs> at all times was just to be able to figure out how to do that all the time. Um, I had, I had two kids and then, and I worked at tower records for a, uh, a while as a, buyer and um, managed a department at Tower Records for a while. Um, and that was, that was also a, a great place. Like <laughs> to, if you wanted to do drugs and like party, because, you know, like I had access to like, you know, there were backstage passes yeah. and, uh, all, you know, like if you wanted tickets to anything, you could go. And um, so that, that was a great fit for me. I mean, not probably not great for an alcoholic or addict, but I wasn't, I wasn't the only person that used the way that I used there. Mm -hmm. So I fit in, you know, and it was music related and I'm big, a big, huge music fan. So it was great. It was great for me and probably not so great for me at the same time. Sure. Sure. Yeah. So you had two kids, Tower Records, yeah. Beauty School, you're modeling. It sounds very much like lining up, like a little bit chaotic. Um, you know, I, I will say Tower Records was one of my favorite stores. I It was a great store, just as an aside. Yeah. There. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I was I was very upset. There used to be one. I was, when I was in grad school in Boston, there was a Tower Records right on the corner of Newberry Street in Boston. And um, I used to go there all the time. But... Um, yeah, so you're partying, you have kids. Obviously, things take a turn at some point, or maybe they don't. Maybe they don't take a turn. I don't know how your story plays out, but like at some point, is there a moment where you're like, this this chaotic life is too much, or is it just, is there some big event, or is it just a culmination of all the events that lead you to your there, recovery? There were like, uh, there were some things like at the time, like I didn't, I didn't see them as events that led me into more into like deeper into my addiction but in hindsight looking back at on it i'm like oh yeah those are definite landmarks mm -hmm. um one of them was um when well i had i had a third pregnancy that i lost and it was an ectopic pregnancy and that was really hard because um it was hard emotionally because you know like i I was pregnant. I was having going to have a third baby and woke up in the hospital, like I hemorrhaged in the hospital and like, you know, they called my priest and like, it was, you know, like I, it was scary. And so, um, when I got out of, when I came to after the surgery, like I didn't know 
if I was still pregnant. I didn't know, like, I didn't know, you know, but then I was, you know, dealing, I had, was in grief. Like I was grieving the loss of this child that like, you know, wasn't a miscarriage. It was ectopic. So like, there's this added layer of like, nothing was wrong with that baby. It was me, you know, like it was in the wrong place. Like, so even logically when you know, like, it's not something I did. Like it, it still was like a hard thing to deal with. Mm-hmm. And it was probably, it was very shortly after that. My kids were very little. They're, they're pretty close in age. Anyway, my two kids, mm-hmm. um, pretty soon after I had lost that baby, I had gone into my doctor and, you know, he was like, how, you know, how's it going? Blah, blah, blah. And I, and I mentioned to him, just casually wasn't at all fishing, but I mentioned that I was having headaches, you know, periodically. And, you know, like I was a young (laughs) mom, you know, like, of course I'm having headaches, like what young mom doesn't, but, but the, this particular doctor was like, Oh, like, uh, I can prescribe you codeine and Furoset. And I was like, immediately I was like, codeine, (laughs) what? (laughs) So as soon as I heard that, I was like, oh, sure. Like, and I, and I, and I had been, I had not used like during my pregnancies and was, you know, pretty, pretty like clean living. Like when my kids were very small. Um, and I really, I really think I was like high on motherhood. Like I was like, I really, really wanted, like I was in love with being a new parent, you Mm -hmm. know? Um, and so, and you know, here's my doctor, like offering it up to me on a silver platter, almost like, oh, like I'll give you these. (laughs) And I was like, sure. Great. You know? So I remember, I very clearly, I remember where I filled the, I remember taking the prescription in. I remember waiting for it, picking it up and like looking at the little blue and white capsules and like taking one, you know, when I, I was like, do I have a headache? I think I have a headache, (laughs) you know, like trying to justify a reason to take it. And as soon as I took that pill, something in me went, you know, like it clicked, you know, something, something triggered when I took that pill. Um, And then it, it, you know, and then like I was taking, I was never taking just one, then I was taking two at a time. And then I was taking two at a time every like, well, what does the bottle say? Okay, I could take one every four to six hours. I can take one, two every four hours because that's what it says I can do. And then eventually like you're taking, you know, two every two hours or, you know, three every, you know, like the increment starts to up for me, you know, did it. And then it got to the point where um, I was, I was, you know, like chewing them up because I realized if I crunched them up and ate them, it would hit faster. Hmm. And, you know, so I'm like burning through these pills and then like, I, you know, be my prescription would be done in like two weeks and I'd have like two more weeks before I could fill it. And like, I would feel I'm all, I'm also have been diagnosed with bipolar disorder. So I have mental health issues anyway. And when I would have those two weeks where I didn't have the coding of set. I felt awful. Like it was just like, you know, I went from way up here to all of a sudden way down here. You know, it was just like this roller coaster every month. Mm -hmm. And every month it was me trying to like 
spread them out more and trying to like, I'm only going to take three today or I'm only going to, you know, like I'm trying to like, you know, trick myself into taking less, hiding them places. Like, you know, just all these things that you do to try to control your using. Um, and I mean, that was a huge secret. Like nobody knew that I was using that much. Like I would give them, and then I'd get like a new prescription and I'd be like, you know, like, you know, like I'd want to share them with friends. And then I'd be like, oh my God, why did I do that? I gave like two or three to that person. Like, why did I do that? You know? Um, but eventually like as my, as my kids got into like closer to preschool age and, um, I was running through my prescription, like as they got a little older and my, my use increased, like I was like, I'd drop, be dropping them off. And then I'd be like doctor shopping all day mm. and like, you know, like going from, you know, doctor to doctor. And then, um, and then, you know, I had friends my friends were young and I was like the only one with kids. And so like, you know, I, I would be like, Oh, I have these, like, do you want to trade these? Like, or, or I had Valium at this point also, like they were giving me Valium. And, um, so I would, you know, get a whole bottle of Valium and I'd be like, I'll give you my whole bottle of Valium for all your Vicodin or, you know, like I was trading off with people. So, you know, eventually, even the Vicodin, you know, like I'd buy like somebody's 60 days supply of Vicodin and then burn through those and my own prescription. And then, you know, and then what do you do? You know, what do you do when you are out of all those, <laughs> you know, yeah. and you doctor shop and you don't, you're like, Oh, what other doctor, how far can I drive? Like, you know, like, well, before I have to pick up my kids and, um, you know, and you're spending money too doing this and, trying to budget your time and your money and your energy and your life. And, um, it is, it's chaotic. Like yeah. chaotic is a great word for it. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, that's not my story, but I've seen that story from, you know, people in my sphere and it's chaos and it, it like, it tumbles out quick. Right. It's like, it's like got a real, um, I mean, anybody's sort of substance, use tumbles out fast not oh, wow. to discount like anybody who drinks or anything like that right like it, it even you know we know like food stuff or well, any of this stuff just like tumbles out quickly right so yeah as soon as somebody's really in it it's like it has a like a blast radius and uh, that's such a good way to describe it a blast radius right i it, love that yeah it's um and like it gets a lot of people uh and uh, you know, I know in my family, it got people, you know, mine, and then also other people in my family. And, and then, you know, I see friends. and So I'm sure that, you know, you saw that happening. Um, what? So you, you, you obviously were having a hard time getting pills. Did you go the, to the next step and, and start to find street drugs to supplement yes. yeah okay. that's <laughs> absolutely yeah because well, because my friends, you know, because I um, was younger when I had my kids and like my friends, like, especially like my tower records friends and like friends that like were, um, like music in bands and stuff like that. Um, you know, like they, they knew where to get drugs and like, you know, like there would be different drugs that would kind of trend through the scene. Um, and I would try them all, you know? So, um, 
you know, it got to a point where like, you know, somebody, like somebody would be like, oh, like uh, we got some crack or we um, got some speed or Coke or, you know, like, or um, somebody had a bottle of like um, Tylox or, you know, like some sort of like, you know, opiate. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you, so I would buy them off, buy those or Coke or, uh, you know, like whatever I could get. And so it progressed to um, when, you know, like in the 90s, heroin made a huge resurgence, like it was very popular. And mm -hmm. um, as soon as that started to circulate in my group of friends, like I, I, I wanted, I knew, even like not, no, not ever having tried it, I knew I wanted to do it. Like, I was like, I absolutely want to do that, you know? Um, and so at the first availability, I did. So, and and that just, that progressed. Like, if you know, like, once I had that, it, it was like, occasionally I was doing heroin and coke. And then it was like, just on the weekends. And then, you know, like, it was like, oh, maybe at night and mm -hmm. then on the weekends. And then you're doing it every day you know, so, uh, and you know, that's, uh, that is a whole other level of chaos because I'm still doctor shopping. I'm still doing all the other things too. Right. Um, because I can't get enough of, I mean, like, cause just heroin and just coke and just drinking isn't enough. Like I need the pills too, because like, if I, if I can't get the heroin one morning before I have to take the kids somewhere or, you know, like I, I need, I need to have all of it all the time. Yeah. So, yeah. And you know, somebody might go like, that sounds impossible, but I find that people who have a real bad addiction to anything can figure it out. Right. Like Absolutely. It's, it's not, you know, somebody's <laughs> probably going like, I wouldn't have time to do that. It's like, no, you could have the time You'd to be do surprised. it. Yeah. Like somehow <laughs> they, you know, when you're in active addiction, you find extra hours, um, mm -hmm. <clears throat> you know, and and part of that is true. Like you're probably staying up later. There there is just extra hours, right? You're, and you're always kind of running right at the edge of your ability to like survive. And it's just it's a very it's you know it's an incredibly challenging way to live. Um, I know that I don't miss it at all. One thing that I'll say is, you know, you're saying like heroin was big in the '90s, and and I I know it was, um, but I think that was. And, and I don't know, because it wasn't my world at the time, but I feel like it was a little bit more West Coast based still at that time. Like on the East Coast, it definitely felt more like crack. And and maybe that was specifically where I was, right? Like I had yeah. roommates in college that were crack addicts and um, there was a lot of like the rave party drugs going, you know, like ecstasy was huge and yes, like it in yeah. and, and then Coke because of New York. Mm -hmm. It seemed like, you know, New York was just sort of tied to Coke and that seemed to be the scene. I know there was people doing heroin, but it didn't, I don't think it had the hold on this area quite yet that it might have had in the, the, the West and then the Northwest. Like that yeah, feels like for sure. it was yeah. maybe like a little bit of a divide, right? And that is true still. Like there's drugs that are just more popular, for lack of a better term, in different areas, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, where now like heroin is like so widespread and like so well known as like a major problem. And I think because of the opiate uh, and like all the press that it's gotten um, anyway. Um, yeah. So, you know, 
I don't want to like fast forward the story, but like, what was the thing that brought you to, to find recovery? Like, what was the moment in time? Like, there's some straw that broke the back. What was it yeah, for you? I mean, for me, um, I, I had, I had terrible guilt about being a parent mm-hmm. and using and, um, about having like paraphernalia in the house or like, or just having heroin in the house or my kids finding it. And like, um, I had terrible, terrible, terrible guilt about it. So I, I was really afraid, like I was having like, um, health consequences from it. You know, like I, there were a string of like hospital related stays that or you know, visits that were, um, because of my drug use Mm -hmm. and, that was scary for me um, because I was, you know, afraid that like I was going to, you know, like that my kids were going to end up without a mother, you know? So that was, that was very scary. I also um, had been seeing someone that I was using with and they died. Mm. And so that was really hard on me. And that, uh, that was one of the hardest things. Like I cared, I I loved him a lot. And so, um, that was a very hard thing to process. And, and then I, you know, like there were friends of mine that were having, it was consequences around me that were happening. I had a friend that was killed execution style in a drug deal and like things like that were, were, you know, like where you feel like, like, that could have been me, mm-hmm. you know, like, like it was getting closer and closer and closer. And it was, and every time that something happened to, you know, like a friend of mine or somebody that was close to me or, you know, like somebody dying or, or, you know, or ODing or whatever, like all of these things that kept getting closer and closer. Um, I, I felt like eventually my card was going to get pulled. Like it hadn't happened yet. Like I'd had some very close calls and I, you know, or like, um, times that, uh, my kids like, you know, found me on the floor. My, my son and daughter have talked to me about this one particular time where they could not wake me Mm. and like how, you know, my son has said, like, I was really, that really, really scared me. He's like, I can remember like it was yesterday, you know? And I'm like, and I remember the incident, but like, um, it, it was like, so there's two ways, like as a parent for me, like I see that two ways you can have so much guilt from that sort of thing happening mm-hmm. that you're just like, I just can't like, I give up, like, and you just kind of surrender to the addiction and just like, like, let go, just let go of any idea of getting better. Or, you know, there's this other side of it where you're like, oh my God, like I have, I have to find a way out of this. Like you have, like, you're just like desperate to find a way out. And, and for me, like, um, I had ran, run into a friend of mine that was in my circle of friends at a memorial service and she had gotten sober Mm -hmm. like six, six months before the memorial service or a few months, I guess, before the memorial service. And I kept running into her. And so she kept implanting the idea of recovery in my head. (laughs) Um, So that was really, like, I didn't have much, I didn't really think that like 12 step programs or, you know, like 
recovery. I didn't think recovery would, I thought I was kind of doomed <laughs> because I didn't see it work with my dad, you know? So I was like, you know, this is, you know, like how, how do I possibly pull myself out of this? Right. So, um, well, I mean, it's good that your friend didn't give up. Yes. <laughs> you know, yes. she, she kept going on you. Um, so did you finally, like, I, I know that you're saying, hey, it didn't work for my dad. Um, obviously, uh, you're here today because something worked for you. What What was the thing that stuck? Was it 12-step? Was it NA? Was it AA? Was it some version of that or was it something else? It was, it was I would say it's a combination of things. Okay. I, um... When, when I got sober, I was dating someone we were using together. I was with somebody that um, was also, we were using, you know, as a, as a couple. Yeah. <laughs> and um, which is, you know, like that's a, that's a tough place, you know, because you're both, you're both, you know, focused on your own addiction. So like how healthy is your relationship going to be? Like you, all you care about is getting high and, you know, like, so, um, when you have two people <laughs> together and each of them only cares about like their own wellness and how they're going to make it through the day. Like, um, that's a whole recipe for disaster. But, um, he and I were, try had tried to kick a, a number of times unsuccessfully when we had, you know, like we like, okay, this weekend, okay. Tomorrow, last day, not, this is the last time we're going out. You know, this is, this is it. And um, I don't even know why he, maybe somebody that we knew had, had gone on methadone. I don't remember exactly why he's looked into it, but um, he looked into methadone treatment in, uh, in around Oakland where, where I lived. And mm -hmm. um, so he was like, I think we should, I think we should try methadone. I was like, what? <laughs> I didn't know anything about it. And I was like, you know, like, how, how does that help anything? You know, like, I didn't understand what it was. Mm -hmm. Um, but it, I, I think that methadone was a big part of my recovery. Like it gave me enough space to get away from, um, just the act of using every day and the cycle of it, the ritual of it. Like it gave me enough distance from it that I was able to breathe and just see what a normal life looked like, you know? Yeah. yeah. So, um, so while I was on methadone, I started checking out 12 step meetings. Um, my friend had given me like a list of recommended, she was like, Oh, go to this one, this one, this one, like this one's good. Like, you know, and so, uh, eventually I caved and I, I, she had offered, I think to go with me. And I, I think I, I think I was too nervous to go with her. Like I didn't, I, I just didn't know what to expect really. Like I didn't know I wanted to leave if I wanted to, or not be like, um, you know, like have to have to do it. Mm -hmm. So, um, I, I went to a meeting uh, by myself and, um, and I heard, I heard somebody share a story s similar enough to mine that I, that I stayed, well, actually I tried to leave halfway through and somebody came out from the meeting and was like, 
hey, why don't you come back in and just stay for the rest of the meeting? And I was like, God damn it. Okay. <laughs> but, um, but, but in the end of that meeting, I heard what I needed to hear. Like I heard somebody, like I lost it. Mm -hmm. I completely lost it. Like I was sitting there like, oh, like this is, you know, like this isn't going to work. God, I can't wait till I can leave. Like I can't believe I went back in here. And then I'm listening to this woman and I'm like, oh my God. And like the tears just came. Yeah. Could not stop crying. Yeah. I mean, the rooms have a lot of people, right? You, well, depends what room you go into, but there's people yes. there and they, <laughs> you know, everybody that goes into them at the start, I think feels very unique, right? Like they're not going to relate to anybody in that room that their story is so different than everybody else's. There's no way. And then if you go to enough, you're going to find somebody that hits you. Like you, you found it in the first, you know, meeting. And I know I, I heard plenty of stories that resonated with me. Um, and that's kind of a little bit of the power of it. I don't, I don't go anymore. Um, you know, I credit it to my early recovery. Um, there's a power in the community. There's a power in those stories that, that can help people kind of, kind of recalibrate their brain, right? Like, Hey, I'm not really this unicorn in the, in the, you know, the world that is so unique that I can never be fixed. It's like, no, there's like hundreds and thousands and millions of people just like me that have figured out how to do it without substances. And I think that that is some of the, the magic sauce there. That's how I see it, but maybe, yeah. yeah. If I, that's totally true. Like I, that is the magic sauce. Like it, for, for me also, like I had this idea that 12 step was going to look like my dad, like mm -hmm. that it was going to, I mean, not that there are meetings that are older white men, but, but, um, but I thought like it was going to be a bunch of like grouchy dudes, like mm -hmm. sitting around and like, you know, I'm an alcoholic. <laughs> that's how I kind of pictured it. And when I walked in the room, it was like punk rock kids and like, you know, like it was like people that I would hang out with. And I was like, what? <laughs> like yeah. it kind of blew me away, you know, that, that these were, these were my people. Like mm -hmm. what? what? They're, how are you here? It was, it is, it is really a magical thing. And like, um, the beauty of that also is that like, they, they wouldn't leave me alone. Like they were like hell bent on me, like on like me being okay. And, and, and they made sure I was okay. Yeah. Yeah. I think the whole story is pretty interesting too. Um, just to step back a minute, you know, you went to with methadone and you talked about it, you know, breaking the ritual and, you know, I've talked about, medical assisted, you know, treatment on here. And, um, you know, I, there are some very strong opinions about Matt and mm -hmm. yeah. I work in, well, not anymore, but I was, I was working in a recovery center, uh, down the road and, you know, we are advocates of all sorts of modalities and, and treatments and, you know, we, we recommend it for people, right? There's Suboxone, there's Methadone, there's places locally, um, when I talk about it with people, I think that the, the key is that you're doing that and then going to NA or AA. And, and that's exactly what you did, right? It's not like a either or. It's like an, it's right. an end, right? And I think that you have to be doing something else because it can, 
like you saw it for what it was. It's like, uh, you know, it, it kind of got you out of that routine. It got you out of the high of like going to get the drug and like all those yeah. like little things, right? That that's part of the whole experience. You broke that part out and you're like, okay, that's gone. This is just helping me physically. Now I need to get right mentally. And like you put yeah. them together, which is like the, the key. And, yeah. and it set you on a path. Um, so how long did you stay with the NA? Are you still there? Are you? I'm still, I, want, I wanted to touch those things. As you were saying that, I was like, it is not unlike what my psychologist says, like with the methadone. Mm -hmm. It is not like the work happens outside. Yeah. You know, like the methadone like did something to like kind of grease the wheels and like give me space. But the work that I did from being in, on a, in a methadone treatment, you know, at the clinic was just to help, you know? Yeah. So I think that, I think that's a great point. It like, you it know? opens you up to be able to like take that in, right? Because yes, like, without that, yeah. you wouldn't have been able to even like mentally think about Get that to the stuff, next point. Right. Yeah. yeah. So like, you know, and I, and then now you're working on this stuff where like you can now say, okay, I don't need the thing to like help me regulate my insides anymore. You know, and that's kind of where you want to get to. Cause I, I say it all the time on here. Like there's always something to regulate your insides. Like I know yes. when I'm off, like I eat poorly now. Like there's things that I do to cover when I'm feeling bad inside. Yeah. Um, I, because I'm not perfect. I'm not, I am not like fully recovered yet. Right. I'm in recovery. So I'm like still working. And I talk about that too, like just better the next day. And for me, like it is like, I'll eat ice cream, I'll eat cookies, I'll, you know, like that's <laughs> how I'll kind of cope with it. Not like over the top, but enough to go like, I had a bad day. This cookie will help, you know? Yes. Like, but I know what that 100%. is. 100%. <laughs> right? I know, I know what that is. I'm not silly. Yeah. Like, but I think being able to recognize it is key. And I think some of the work that you've done, that I've done, that others in recovery have done, like we can now see that for what it is. And that's the, that's the stuff that comes out of being able to like focus in those meetings. Right. So, yes, yeah. um, you still go now or you're, I do. Yeah, yeah okay. I do. I do it. I don't, I do, um, more. It's funny cause I did primarily NA in the beginning and then it, um, it switched. Like I, like I've always been kind of like bi-stepsable, like where I've done like NA and AA. Yeah. But like at some point it, it switched over where like AA just felt like a better fit for me. Okay. And you know, like I, I'm, I always like to tell like, um, newcomers or sponsees, you know, that like your, your program will change as you change. Like your, what you need for your recovery will change over time. And mm -hmm. like, and that's okay. Like that means you're growing. Like you, you I do different things. I do alternative recovery you know like all meetings online um that aren't necessarily 12 step but uh -huh. are you know like 12 step in you know like in idea yeah, sort of you adjacent. know the smart meeting yeah refuge, adjacent yeah yeah there's a bunch of them out there yeah. yeah so um yeah so i i'm very i'm very open to like if it may if it if i'm growing as a person by doing that and um you know, and I'm, I'm progressing in my recovery and, you know, like, and, and I'm, I'm feeling good about what I'm doing, then I'm, then I keep doing it. Yeah. There's, yeah. And you're right. There are so many options. There's so many things you can do today. 
there are. And with, with, I think one of the things that came out of the pandemic was the fact that so many of this, these meetings just went online, right? Like before yes. it, it was kind of like not really a thing. I, and there are some like challenges around that. I get it. Like with the anonymity and people popping in and out of rooms. And, but I think most of that kind of died out early on in the pandemic and then it's all kind of worked out. Um, but yeah, you can go to a meeting almost all day, every day online. Um, yes. You know, anywhere. Yeah. Anywhere. I, I've been to meetings in Iceland mm -hmm. and like, uh, England. And, yeah. Different and languages. Great. Yeah. Because yes. Was, yeah. 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 Sometimes you get somebody who's maybe not like, you know, this is something that I found working with people. It's like, I, I didn't understand. Like some people don't speak fluent English. Some people don't have cars. Like there's all these challenges. And then all of a sudden like this happened and it opened up that world. So, Hey, that was one of the positives of, of that little weird time that we all went through a couple of years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So I know you do a lot of other stuff too. Like you've written your book and, but you're active in your community um, in other ways around recovery. Uh, I think something, and I'm not a hundred percent sure is a needle. Uh, I've worked, um, I've worked or? with the needle exchange. Yeah. Okay. yeah. And um, I, I'm, um, I sit on a board for a harm reduction treatment okay. center. Yeah. And um, I'm very proactive about like, um, making sure people have Narcan, making sure people have access to clean needles and like all, all of that sort of thing. Um, and I, because I, because I'm so grateful like that it exists and like, I'm so glad that people have that today is have that available to them. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, there was a little, you know, that was available a little bit, like when I was still out there, but it was kind of like people like out of vans, you know, like, mm -hmm. Hey, get your clean needles here. And now like, there's like whole, whole, you know, places like, you know, like churches and just centers where, um, people can get clean using supplies and, um, testing kits and Narcan and all of it. Yeah. So it's really important to me. No, I think it's, to my heart. it is super important. And I think you have a point, like it used to be in vans. It was back alley. It was hidden. It was sort of like a dirty secret. And I don't, I don't understand that even AA meetings were kind of like weird and like, you know, behind the church, right? Like, yes, everyone was yeah, like in the yeah. <laughs> And now it's kind of like out there and, and you'd mentioned before, like it was angry dudes and it, it listen, there's still plenty of those angry dudes. Yes, and, yes, and I think true. that they don't do, I, I have a whole philosophy on that, right? Like I feel <laughs> like it kind of turns off people and it's kind of got to flip and I think it's getting there. Um, I don't know how to fully flip it, but it is, it is flipping. Um, but harm reduction, you mentioned harm reduction and it's something that we talk about here um i've talked about it a couple of times and i think it's so um it's still new like you know if you mention that in a room or an a room you might get like a real blowback right like you know the way i see harm reduction is like you know we talk about it at, at my, my previous work it's like you know that could literally be like an alcoholic calling for an uber rather than, yes. dri than yeah. driving right and and if i said that in an AA meeting somebody would lose their mind <laughs> right. But like to them, that is a huge step towards something better. Right. Like they're yeah. not going to kill themselves. They're not going to kill somebody else. Like, you know, getting clean needles. It's like that is a huge step forward if somebody can't stop using. Right. Like they've, yes. they've eliminated yeah. all this possible bad outcome. And 
you know, it's a step in the right direction, right? It's like, you can't do it all, like right off the bat. I mean, you, you saw that too. And so I think opening that world up and really sort of saying to people like, it's okay to just try harm reduction as a start. It's like, the the more that that gets sort of mainstreamed, I think the better. That's how I see it, you know? And I don't know that I would have had that view 10 years ago. All, in all honesty, 10 years ago, I don't think I would have been there. Um, oh, wow. Really? I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I, I, you know, because like for me, 10 years ago, it was such a binary choice. It was like, well, 11 years ago, whatever. When I got sober, it was like I was either going to be drinking or not drinking. Right. Like, oh, gotcha. There was okay. no in between for me. Like, yeah, it was, no gray area. <laughs> no, no. Because like just for me, in my case, like calling an Uber to get home from the bar still would have had all these other outcomes that were the issue that I was dealing with, right? So for me, it was so binary. Um, mm-hmm. But maybe looking back, and if I had done that, maybe those other issues wouldn't have existed. So like, I don't know, you know, like, it's just, it, I think the more mainstream we could get it, the more open we are to talk about things like that, the better. Um, because maybe it would have been the right solution for me. And maybe I would have been able to find my recovery sooner. Who knows? I, you know, it's like, yeah. Can't go backwards in time. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what do you like to do in your free time now that you have, and you have, I think 20, 23 years. So yeah. That, yeah. So that's a long yeah. time. So for 23 years, you've been doing a lot of stuff. What do you do for fun? Like, is that, what does your life look like on the fun side now? On the fun side, I go, I, I'm really into, I like, I love music. I love, I love reading. I love, um, art. And um, I I spend a lot of time with my ki- my kids, and um, we're we're very close. And um, yeah, like for me, like a good day is like reading, doing a little art, and going for like a long hike and mm-hmm. listening to some music or podcasts. Like that's that's pretty much, and like maybe some ice cream also. Okay. All right. <laughs> So you've kind of settled in. You're like, okay, I just want calm, quiet, right? Like it's yes, kind of what yeah. it is. All right. Yeah. I like it. I like I've always it. got some writing project going. I'm working on like three different things right now. But, you know, that falls into like the creative part yeah. of my day. Yeah. And and professionally, where are you set, settled? Are you still doing acting or anything of that nature? I haven't done... Well, let's see. I did. I did model. I did some modeling a couple of years ago, like okay. uh, right, like pandemic pandemic. I did um, for a local a local dress brand. Um, but yeah, I haven't done any acting or modeling like okay. really for a, a long while. But yeah, I I um, I stay busy like doing like side gigs yeah. that can support my writing. There you go. Is like I'm like. I need, I try to do something so that I have enough time. Like, I'm like, I need to pay the bills, but also be able to write. <laughs> yeah. No, listen, if it's the passion, that's the thing that you got to focus on. Right. Yeah. Um, that is, it's always, um, if you can do what you love, the money, the money follows is kind of yeah. what I think the, the, the magic is right. If you can really do what you love. Um, I've seen some people really make it work. So yeah, just keep following that passion. Yes. Um, I know that like we're coming up on our time and I like to just be respectful of everybody's time. Um, but I did want to ask you, as you've mentioned a couple of times now, you love music. What 
what are you listening to now? That's sort of your thing. Like, oh my gosh, um, I'm I'm kind of weird. Like, I'll just listen to I'll revisit things. Like right now, I'm listening to like a lot of like Operation Ivy and like okay. that whole era of like East Bay punk kind mm-hmm. of. It's so funny because I went on a, a hike with um, uh, it was it was organized by Shatterproof, the organization yes. Shatterproof. Yes. And so I went on a hike earlier today with them, um, and we were talking about how different times of year for uh, we were all noticing, or I, I mentioned like this time of year is very much like a specific type of music for me, and and I said, and then we were saying like yes, and then somebody said. And winter is definitely metal. And I was like, yes. Like winter to me is like Ozzy Osbourne and Randy Rhodes. Huh. <laughs> but right now I'm in kind of a, like a like Operation Ivy and like uh, Death Angel. Very like East Bay, like thrash and punk kind of okay. thing. But um, yeah, I'll lis- I listen to all kinds of music with the exception of probably like New Country. So sorry. Sorry, anybody that's into New Country. <laughs> but like yeah pretty much anything like my son is like really into music and he's always playing like like little peep type stuff and like mm-hmm. newer the names newer i can't even remember yeah. Yeah, yeah and yeah. and i'll be like what's this you know because it's it's like some of it's really really amazing but i can't ever remember any of the names of it <laughs> so like save it for me on my spotify and then i have to call him and be like what was it? Because I need to find it so I can listen to it. <laughs> yeah, the the new rap is I, some of it's great and some of it's like a real miss. But that was the same back in the day too, right? There yes. was like it yeah. was either really good or kind of just like a swing and a miss. I can't keep track of all the new rappers coming out. Um, there's so many. There are so many. There are, but there's a, like on Spotify every once in a while, I'll put on like Pop Rising, and there's like a lot of pop music that I, you just don't hear either. That and it's just yeah. like there's just so much music that just gets churned out right now, so to keep up on it all is impossible. Yes. Um, so Operation Ivy and um, are you like a TV person? You binge anything or? Oh my god, I watch way too much TV. Okay, what's the yeah. TV wreck? Oh my gosh, I I'm I so wish there was more what we do in the shadows. I I'm like I am like a goth at okay. heart, so like I'm very anything with like. Uh, vampires and like you know like a dark <laughs> undertone or dark comedy I'm into it okay um I'm watching I like I feel like I've burned through everything and so I like begrudgingly started watching the morning show oh with my wife just started that too you're kidding yeah and like I really was like ah, oh, fine I'm gonna watch it and like I was like oh like this the writing is actually this is really good yeah she's been <laughs> she's been grinding on that I I was, yeah. I was like wow you're eight episodes in <laughs> yeah. yeah like Jennifer Aniston and uh Billy Crudup and Reese was they're they're all so good in it mm. like it's it's so good okay so yeah that's that's my jam right, right. now and um books i we're gonna obviously recommend your book is there anything else i because i don't read enough books to to really? like do this oh, like, well, oh my like, goodness i gotta tell somebody something every episode so like i there's just no way that i could be reading that much <laughs> yes like, almost oh my impossible. gosh there's so many books that like i have like a list of like recovery related books mm-hmm. like 
obviously I would recommend my books. See Swallow Me. Mm-hmm. Um, Tracy Helton Mitchell's book, The Big Fix, is great. Okay. Aaron Carr, Strung Out, is great. Yeah. Um, uh, Amy Dresser, My Fair Junkie, is great. Hannah Swords Strip. Joshua Moore, Model Citizen. Yeah. Joshua Moore's really interesting. Like, he, it's a, I think, kind of like a Chuck Palahniuk kind of type of darkness almost. Okay. So he he's interesting. Like, um, yeah. My favorite some... writer. I, oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I love him too. Yeah. I, I love Palahniuk. Well, like, Fight, Fight Club's almost like my least favorite of his. Uh, yeah, I love me, him. me too, actually. <laughs> I think, yeah, like his nonfiction writing is actually the best. Um, in yeah. my opinion, actually, I would say, I would just strike that and probably say Stephen King is my favorite, but Chuck mm. would probably be, be my second. I'm like, we can talk about books. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I used to read a lot more. It's just, it's just increasingly hard, you know. Um, yes, it's time consuming. It's time consuming, and then with work yeah. and the kids, and you know, by the time I get free, it's like my brain is just so mushy that I can't take it in. Like the only time I can really like vibe on a book is like on vacation um yeah, yeah that's a that's a great i'm trying to remember there was a book that i just um heard about i'm trying to remember the name of it it is oh among the bros have okay. you heard of that no. by max marshall and it's about a xanax uh like a xanax like crime syndicate in a fraternity okay in the south well uh, maybe I'll give that one a try. Yeah, I just I just heard heard him uh, on a podcast, and so I was like, and was just like, oh wow, like that sounds interesting. It's it's fiction. Well, it's based on on a real event. Yeah, where this uh, Southern fraternity was like churning out hundreds of thousands of Xanax and press pills, and had this whole like you know <laughs> thing going on. Yeah, but for, um, I'll tell you, fraternities are. Um... They're ripe with great ideas for crime. I was in one, yes. and my fraternity was not the the most upstanding uh, fraternity at this time. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. I mean, I I wasn't really involved in any of this stuff, but there was always some nonsense going on in the background. And anyway, um, yeah. So I'll give my couple things today. So music wise, I um, I like right now. I'm listening to Maggie Rogers. So she's a singer-songwriter. Um, she, for some reason, she just popped back up on my radar. I, I liked her a couple of years ago, and she's on a duet with Zach Bryan, who's newer country, but like she's on with him, and, and she's just a great singer-songwriter. She was actually discovered by Pharrell Williams, oh, the hip-hop wow. producer, and she's just great. Um, and then TV. So while I wish I had something great to recommend, I'm going to recommend this week um, House Hunters because it's it's <laughs> carried me through this past week. It is unbelievable how I can like zone out for four hours and watch or however many hours it's on in a row and just watch people buy houses. Right. Like it's, I, it's fun. I, I don't get it. But um, and then my favorite version is House Hunter International because it gives me this thought that I can escape whatever's going on like fully right like these people yes. are literally like up and moving from like 
they'll be like, hey, this couple from Alabama is moving to Hong Kong. And you're like, oh, my yes. goodness, I can move to Hong Kong. Like, <laughs> you know, so for a moment, I have that like it's kind of like what we do with Zillow in our house when we're having a really bad day. Or if I'll, I'll know if my wife is like a little off because all of a sudden, like, I'll start getting these Gmail alerts that she saved houses on Zillow, it's like, <laughs> you know, and they're all like not where we live. Uh, yeah. So it is very escapist. But yeah, yeah. Um, it is. Uh, and, and there's just something about the house. Like there's certain episodes you can just kind of goof on them with like your your spouse. right? Like, so yes. Like, that's we'll, so funny yeah. because all, I watch that with my mom. I go to my mom's house like twice a week and we watch it. <laughs> and it's fun it is fun it's, it's yeah. fun to watch and it's not like heavy like we were and i've brought it up on a couple episodes we've been watching the bear but it's very slow watch for me oh, it's, yes. it's very intense and i the it last is. one i watched i'm like i just still can't even do the next one i'm like i need a break like i need to break from this it's um, so like fast paced too that it's like it's almost anxiety provoking <laughs> it is yeah but it's also the alcoholic addiction aspect of it is so like grabby know. you know like i i love it i know i know. I, I really like that show there's like a lot of storylines that are just so they hit so close to home and i'm like i yes. just need a, a break from it so like yeah maybe we'll pick it up on uh tomorrow or something like that That's yeah probably the thought so those are my those are my things this week i don't have any books or anything else really have you watched trafficking uh, no, I have not. With, um, I cannot remember, Maria Van, I can't remember, her, uh, I want to say Van Helsing, and that yeah, is not it's, what it is. It's the, <laughs> like the news show where she, yeah, I've watched like one episode of that actually. Um, that fascinates me. Yeah. Like her going and seeing like people like dealing fentanyl or how they make, yeah. it just, or like going to like just these crazy locations yeah yeah and i've heard her speak before um yeah sometimes things like that really kind of i don't know like i can watch like a, a 48 hours or like a true crime podcast but like that for some reason really kind of like i don't know it doesn't agitate me it's more like it's like anxiety producing i, yes. I don't know like yeah. i can't quite I yeah. yeah, like I can't watch a soft white underbelly, which is like the YouTube guy, right? Like that stuff. Yeah. Like people will go like, watch this. Like, and some people say to watch it like as an interest, and some people say to watch it as like goofing on it. And I look at it and I'm like, oh gosh, like it just feels too close to home, right? Like, yes. So, so like I, yeah, that's that feeling, and I don't. Yeah. Yeah. It's not anxiety. It's something else. It's like. Get, yeah, get, I get I understand that. Yeah. Yes. Right? Yeah. There's things. There's shows like that that I have that same reaction to. And I'm like, I can't pinpoint what it is, but I'm so uncomfortable. I can't, I can't watch it. I can't yeah, do it. <laughs> yeah. And there's movies like that too. Like at the end of the yeah. movie, I'll look over at my wife and go like, that wasn't for me. Like yeah. that was just totally un unbearable. Feel traumatized. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 There was one about like a hotel in Florida. I forget what it was called, but like these, this family like lived in a hotel and I'm sure somebody knows it, but, um, the whole time I was like, this is just, this feels awful. Like yeah. the whole time I was watching it, I'm like, there's no enjoyment here. Like all I kept thinking was like, get me out of this movie. Yes. You know, when is it over? Yeah. 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 So, yeah. um, well, Suki, I really enjoyed this conversation. I think that your story is super interesting and the fact that, you know, you were on this path and able to, you know, make the turn. And now 23 years later, you're helping people and you're finding, you know, people ways to 
to their own recovery is is really the the beauty of the story um and i hope everybody listening goes to amazon and finds your book see swallow me and yes. uh check Barnes out your social Huh? So at Barnes and Noble also, and, and a, apparently at Book Soup in LA now also. Okay, so, look at that. All right. Yeah. Well, <laughs> um, your social media will be linked on the show notes, so check that out. And everybody, if you could like, subscribe, do something. I, I guess it gets more listeners or something to the podcast. I'm still learning all of this, um, <laughs> but I appreciate it. And we will. Um, any last words, Suki? I just thank you so much, Corey. And um, yeah, I'm just grateful to be here. So thank you. Great. Thanks so much. And um, we'll see everybody next week.